Good afternoon and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly dungeon muser today. Uh, today, I just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about uh, a uh, genre that is near and dear to my heart and that is horror uh, because I just finished playing a game, um, a video game last night that I had been very, very eagerly anticipating, uh, partly based on reviews and, and whatnot and uh, Partly based on um, hype that I'd seen on uh, from from other uh, YouTubers, and I uh, was very <laughs> disappointed and very frustrated with this particular uh, game. So I thought I'd uh, talk about that and uh, just share some thoughts on why I think that it was uh, why it failed in what I thought it was trying uh, to do, or at least the experience I thought I was going to get out of it. It's a very well reviewed game, so. Uh, let's talk about uh, lessons from Resident Evil 7 or Resident Evil Biohazard. So I guess uh, first off, the um, uh, one thing I, I'm not intending to try and cover in uh, this uh, episode is the dealing with horror in general in RPGs. Uh, there has been tons and tons and tons and tons of uh, ink spilled on that by much more qualified um, uh, authors uh, than I uh, including Ken Height's really great uh, GURPS uh, horror. Uh, any of the latter editions has some terrific advice on different categories of horror and things like that. I think there's a good discussion of it in the more recent uh, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft or 5e. Um, I also think that there's a bunch of other... I mean, the old Ravenloft bo books have some great discussion of, of gothic horror. Call of Cthulhu has a really great discussion of, of horror in general. Um, Trail of Cthulhu, likewise, has some terrific advice. So there's, there's lots of great uh, resources out there for talking about, um, you know, how to evoke horror in your games. Um, and it's something that, you know, listeners of this podcast and uh, viewers of the YouTube channel uh, will obviously know that I uh, am a big, big, big fan of uh, horror and horror uh, tropes and, and whatnot in my RPGs. And I, um, with, with that in mind, I, I don't... Uh, I like horror movies, but I like, I'm also, uh, I like good movies too. I generally don't, uh, I don't uh, allow for a lot of uh, forgiveness with uh, kind of schlocky uh, horror films. It's just not really, I, I, I don't mind watching them with, actually that's not true, I really enjoy watching them with uh, friends and making fun of them, but on my own, I'm not really one for watching, you know, uh, poorly made, uh, or, and by poorly made, I'm just, the qualifications I, I'm uh, setting for that are uh, that it, it is it is what it intends to be. So, you know, things like, uh, like Tremors is a, is a long, long time favorite of mine. Not really a horror film, but love that, love The Thing, um, love, uh, I'm trying to think of more recent ones that I've enjoyed. Uh, Woman in Black, uh, I really enjoyed the, the re remake as kind of a homage to the Hammer horror series, but a lot of the stuff that comes out on, say, like Shudder is a, um, I'm not sure if it's available in the States as well too, but it's a, certainly a streaming service in Canada that we can access. And uh, that stuff's about like one for 10 that I've actually enjoyed. So many of them have really subpar acting and just like subpar production and whatnot. So um, I, I won't suffer through that. But I do enjoy a good horror film. Uh, I do enjoy a, um, a good horror video game as well, too. Um, uh, Dead Space is the one I'm thinking of as my, my absolute favorite of uh, hard sci-fi and horror, and one that really genuinely scared the bejesus out of me for the vast majority of, the, uh, of that game. The middle part could have been shorter, but it's fine. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. Um, so with that in mind, I, I guess that's the approach I had going into Resident Evil 7. Now, I haven't played... I, I played a, a little bit of some of the previous Resident Evils, and I wasn't crazy about them because um, a lot of... So one of the things that is uh, a, an idea in most uh, horror um, either... Well, I mean, horror games, because we're talking about uh, games here, is disempowerment, right? Is, is the ability of feeling helplessness. Um, that is one of the ways that you can kind of play up the horror feel for a game. And uh, the degree of that, uh, you know, partly that, that sometimes relates to the unknown, you know, because you're, you're feeling powerless because you don't know what you're facing or you don't know what, how to affect it and whatnot. Um, but being a game, you know, part of that is, is exploring that and, and becoming 
conversant with the unknown. That's the, you don't have to have that in every horror game, and there can be degrees of, of, uh, of disempowerment. But that's one of the things that I, it feels like the Resident Evil games were trying to capture. And the way they did that was through some um, interface decisions for, you know, like you can't move and shoot at the same time. Uh, and other little ways that they made the, the uh, controls be a way of, uh, of making that, um, you know, uh, uh, making that sort of, uh, that experience uh, feel more helpless, I guess, or make you as the player feel more helpless. And in past, uh, honestly, I, I fucking hate that design decision. Uh, a clunky control scheme as a way of, um, of, of, of trying to like empower your, uh, your character or, or empower the, the horror feel of the game. I just, I, there's so many better ways to do that than just making it that, you know, it's hard to move your character around or you keep bumping into invisible things. Like it's very, very, and that's an absolutely personal thing. It has nothing to do with, it's not a, a wrong design decision and the success of the series certainly, you know, speaks to, uh, at the very least that the, uh, the other elements of the games, uh, transcend those, uh, those issues if other people find them issues. But for me, it was just, it was always a real deal breaker. And I'd heard that Resident Evil 7 didn't have that kind of stuff. Um, I also heard that the story was terrific. And, and really, I think it was in connection with the, uh, the newest Resident Evil game at the time of recording, uh, which featured that really tall vampire lady. And, uh, the intro uh, sequence they showed to that was looked really, really cool, and it seemed like fun, exploratory, problem-solving gameplay. Uh, and that all sounded great to me. And like all that sounds like a really, you know, really, really great uh, type of, of um, game that I, I would love. And because uh, De Dead Space, to a degree, was like that as well too. There was some problem-solving, but you're also dealing with some cool action sequences as well too. But it doesn't take away from the the horror of it. So in this. Uh, I, I sat down and I played a couple... Uh, well, I played through the first sequence of Resident Evil 7 Biohazard last night, and I played the, um, the played a little bit further into it just to see if, if I was... Uh, to make sure I had the full experience, and then I went online afterwards to see what, you know, uh, weren't just glowing reviews of it to find out what people said, because the game was quite well-received. And I won't spoil and well, I'm gonna spoil some stuff in here. So if you do intend on playing it, at least for the first little bit of this of the game, um, don't uh, you know, um, don't uh, maybe don't listen if if you don't want it spoiled. Uh, come back to this after you've had a chance to play. But the first uh, sequence involves you showing up and then you slowly your your uh, ex-wife you haven't seen for three years. She sent you some uh, tape that was really kind of, uh, I kept saying that you needed to come and help her or something to that effect. So you travel to this, um, this sort of like a, in the middle of nowhere in the swamp uh, house in uh, Louisiana. And then you are exploring this dilapidated house and trying to find what, you know, um, find where this, uh, you know, what happened to your wife and, and slowly piece together some things. And the... Initial sequence is gorgeous. It's this awesome, like a helicopter shot of this car driving along a lonely stretch of highway that's in the middle of like some massive uh, wetlands uh, on either side. The initial sequence is creepy, and there's some not jump scares, but great shit where like you know things walk into frame and out of frame, and you're like, "What? Did I see that?" And the atmosphere of exploring the first. Um, uh, the first area is great. There's some really, really good uh, jump scares in, in, in credit to the game as well, too, where once things kick off, you th things will sort of like burst through walls and you don't understand what's happening. But the way that the game, um, the there's a limited... And like all these are, are design decisions that they made with respect to how the game is played. So, you know, it, it's... Uh, I, I'm assuming there were intend, these were all intended, not that these were sloppy implementations, but the, there's a limited, um, what do you call it? There is a limited um, um, inventory, which is cool. I mean, you have to make a decision of what you want to keep, what you want to do. There's a crafting system as well, too, uh, which is, is kind of cool. But the first 
you know, like two hours or three hours of gameplay that I played was, or maybe two hours of gameplay was a little limited in, in doing that. Like it was very led by the nose, you know, uh, you found this, now you found this, then you get hurt and then here's how you make a first aid kit uh, kind of stuff. And um, after doing a little bit of exploring and going around, you then see your wife finally find her. And nothing really, like, it's creepy and it's scary, but for as you're exploring the thing because of the unknown, nothing really happens, though, in that first sequence until you find your wife. Then she says someone named Daddy is, is uh, keeping her, and, and you have to try and escape out through the... Uh, um, uh, through this house, before you find her as well too, you come across some video evidence of a previous, uh, like a crew that went to shoot, that, you know, shoots one of these like, you know, Discovery Channel ghost hunter shows. So you get to play as them in a bit of a flashback, but it's really just more of a like per, uh, participatory info dump. You don't really make any decisions in it. You just sort of walk along through it. And then in the, uh, so the nice thing with that is that it it helps it's a clever way of informing you about things you may have missed. And I like that a great deal. Um, it was a, a, a really clever way of, of communicating information to the present day character uh, without having to go through a, like an, uh, um, a tutorial that would take you out of the game. But um, then you go find your wife and then it starts the first of many sequences where... It is, um, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's uh, quick time events, but they're not even really quick time events. Like you have no interaction with it. Just like this whole sequence plays and then you might be able to uh, do something to affect her. Like you, uh, you first fight her with, uh, she like cuts an arm off of you and it's, it's crazy stuff. And you have no way of, of interact, like of, of interrupting the stuff or, or interacting with it. There's no communication uh, as you're fighting her that you're actually affecting her and you learn nothing from the sequence about how to defeat future enemies. And that interaction with her as an enemy is how every interaction goes with enemies. You face nothing but waves of individuals who will chase you and if they catch you, they'll beat the shit out of you and, and potentially kill you. And you don't seem to have any, there's no feedback for how you're affecting these things. And there's, in the sense of, it's not clear if you should, because you do eventually defeat them in combat, and you are given, you know, a handgun at one point, you're given a shotgun at one point, you're given an axe, you're given a knife, you know, and there's no feedback in the game for whether that is the correct strategy or not. It appears to be, because you have to, at least for one of the sequences, you have to, Beat them, but I'm uh, like there's a sequence where you get locked in a garage with this seemingly unkillable um, dad and uh, this guy, and he's uh, eventually gets into it. Like you, you shoot him a couple of times and you hurt him and whatnot, but then you run out of your ammo and then you have to watch him just spin around in the garage. And maybe there's, uh, I shouldn't say maybe there probably is some way of, of shortcutting this stuff, but there was nothing in the game that was telling me how to do that, and the feedback I was getting from shooting him, from stabbing him, from whatever, nothing was telling me that that was the right decision, but I didn't have anything else I could do, so I just kept doing that. He eventually sets the car on fire uh, because of smashing around in the garage, trying to run you over, and then he gets up after that as well, and then a thing blows up, you know? And uh, the thing that I find frustrating with these fucking Rails uh, horror games is like, you know, with when he finally goes down, I've got a knife. I've got all the time in the world. I'm gonna dismember this motherfucker. Like it's it's so frustrating that you just have to kind of go through that without any meaningful interaction, and that's the game. Like it just it's routine, continuing slowly slogging around until the game decides it's gonna let you go on to the next stage, and then when it triggers the next sort of quick time event where you're facing an unkillable monster and there's no real clear way that's the game is communicating to you that you're going to get around this and you know like it just i was I, I i'm fucking done with that game i'm not going back to it again because it's just uh trying to have trying to guess the specific thing i'm supposed to do without any 
feedback from the game. Like I can go online, I suppose, and, and find out what I should be doing and whatnot, but I'm not interested in beating this game. Like it doesn't, the, the, the goal of, uh, or the purpose of, for me, for playing this kind of thing is to have that horror experience, is to have that feel of a, you know, uh, of the, the terror and the unknown and whatnot too, but me being able to learn and face that and triumph over that unknown. The difference between a game and a, at least in general, uh, for, you know, there's, there's are definitely defeatist games as well too that, that serve a different kind of storytelling purpose, but for most of these things, like the perp, the goal is, is for you to triumph against these things. So that's the case, you know, let me feel like I've got agency over this uh, as, and, and give me my way of, of learning, not just, you know, um, flailing away blindly against something without, uh, you know, uh, against an undefeatable enemy and having read forward, uh, you know, about this, that's effectively eight, that's what the whole game is. Uh, it's eight hours of just sequences where you're fighting unkillable or seemingly unkillable enemies, you know, over and over again, interspersed with trying to uh, solve uh, problems. And it's a shame that these stupid uh, sequences, the, the other sequences come in because the problem solving part of it is kind of interesting. It is very, very rudimentary. It's a matter of like looking around for, you know, uh, item X, which will help you access the portal to, you know, to set, uh, the next sequence Y. And then that just repeats ad nauseum while you're trying to avoid this stuff. And, uh, and it's not like there's really a lot of atmospheric storytelling going on in that either. So it's just, it was a very, very, very disappointing uh, game. And, um, and because my reason for playing the game is to experience that it's the journey, not the destination, I got no interest in, in finding out how I'm supposed to beat the enemies or whatever else in it and making my way to the end because I don't care. I've, I've got no investment in the story. Um, and there's a difference between, you know, in, even in horror, between um, uh, not, you know, keeping uh, information away from the players uh, to keep, you know, so they're not, uh, you're playing up part of that powerlessness uh, due to their lack of information, or at least lack of perfect information. But you also, um, you can't just give them nothing, you know. Uh, there's got to be some kind of, of atmospheric, uh, uh, you know, storytelling uh, that helps. And they try, in, in fairness to the game, they do that to a very small degree with certain items you can pick up. But like, after I picked up the fourth or fifth newspaper that said 20 people have been gone missing in, in uh, Louisiana. It felt less like efforts to continue to build on the story and more, well, if you missed it in the other section, here it is again so that you'll know, oh man, there's 20 people who've gone missing in, in Louisiana and nobody knows. Even though you encounter a character who tells you the same freaking thing and there's, there's unknown elements with or there's there's sort of confusing elements with one character you interact with as well too that he like it's a um, a deputy or a marshal or something like that who is referenced at some point um, in the game as you know after you've been rendered uh, helpless and you've been captured by somebody um, ugh, it just there's so many things I disliked about this game like it was such a passive experience and um, it just it really got me, like, it, when I, when I throw, put it aside uh, after, you know, <laughs> out loud telling it to go fuck itself, um, I, uh, yeah, I, I just, I got to thinking about, um, I'm like, is it, is it that I don't like playing horror? Um, is it that, because, I mean, I, I've been thinking a little bit lately about how you can, and I, I mentioned this in the podcast before, but how you can have different interactions with certain game systems. Like, for instance, I... I have had a lot of fun uh, running uh, Money Cook's Cipher System uh, before, uh, but I, I don't like I don't like playing it. Uh, it, it does I, I don't really enjoy it. And honestly, I think that in retrospect, maybe what I enjoyed was the novelty of not rolling dice, of just focusing on on running the game. Uh, and I found a similar satisfaction from Simba Room and from uh, City of Mist, and from running Cult um, Divinity Lost. Which is another example. Call of Divinity Lost, I fucking love. 
love that uh, that game a great deal. So I was thinking, well, is it that I'm a player? Is it because I don't like playing in horror? I don't like, but that's just not the case. Like I've loved a lot of other horror games, and I just like good ones, you know. Or and I know good is a subjective term, but ones that I feel that uh, fairly, not even fairly. I just I feel like this is such a a poor implementation of the horror and the the disempowering. Uh, aspect of it. That, that's I didn't mention the controls either, but the controls are fucking awful in the game. You know, you turn at an abysmally slow rate. Uh, it's really hard to get to navigate around. And you get caught up on things all the damn time. And I the the technology is sufficiently advanced that it's it's not a matter of like bad coding or bad game design. It's what they intended, and it is such an infuriating thing, especially when you know. Um, like fast pans is such a part of modern cinema. People's heads snap into the side and suddenly seeing something. Like, let me move my head around at the rate that I should be able to in my in, in real life. Don't fix, you know, don't fix my turn rate so slow to make the chase aspects more, you know, more tense, or at least that's the intent. The running mechanic is abysmal in it too. So it's just it is a, such a terrible way of uh of implementing the um, the things that they're trying to capture in it, like just ugh, for a game that that had such glowing reviews, I, I just yeah, I, th- I again like I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't that, and I, I don't feel that it's it's um, the horror element or the discovery element or whatnot, or even the disempowering. Like I don't mind you know it, careful use of of in you know impossible to defeat adversaries. There's a great game called uh, Salt and Sand Salt and Sanctuary. Uh, that um, starts off with a, f- a fight with a boss that it, you can't win it. Like you just absolutely cannot win. Um, you may be able to. I shouldn't say that. Like maybe like really skilled players, maybe they can defeat this opening uh, adversary. But I sure as shit haven't been able to do it ever. But the point is, you're never intended to do that. Same thing with um, Dark Souls. Uh, Dark Souls opens with you losing because it's intended to communicate that you know this is it is going to be a Get used to defeat and learning from defeat, you know? And that, to me, is a much more rewarding uh, way of approaching things. And from an RPG perspective, you know, I, I just... It definitely has me uh, reconsidering or at least being mindful of the ways that I make use of that um, uh, that type of disempowering you know, information. What What is something that is adequate for players to, you know, because again, in role-playing games, is a different medium. I've talked about this before, and it's not really a medium. Like, it's a medium if it's being broadcast. It's a different experience. Um, it is a, uh, it is a different way of engaging with a, a game and the, the story attached to that. Horror games more often than not have more heavy story components than what, say, a, um, you know, like a, a, a sandbox game or something like that does because it's partly, or at least one way of telling the horror is going to be unraveling and and learning the secrets of that, of whatever the horrific thing it is, you know, learning the identity of the, the ghost or the reason for its haunting or, you know, learning what monster is lurking at the edge of the woods or whatever, whatever the uh, the element of, uh, of horror that is being revealed over the course of your uh, uh, your experience. And that's not just in, you know... Um, academic, you know, uh, what do you call it? You know, uh, non-combatants in the twenties, like a Call of Cthulhu style game, traditional Call of Cthulhu. This stuff is is absolutely, you know, um, applicable to games with more mud and blood in them as well, like Warhammer Fantasy or Conan. You know, the the uh, facing the unknown and defeating it. Um, that part is. Uh, definitely part of, um, you know, Pulp Cthulhu type adventures or any of these like Warhammer Fantasy or um, uh, Conan where, I mean, Conan and Pulp uh, Cthulhu more so where the expectation is that the heroes are going to triumph against the evil. Warhammer Fantasy second, uh, Warhammer Fantasy in general, I'm not sure it, it, it 100% expects that, but there's a lot of narrative meta currencies in second edition and third edition and fourth edition that support the characters getting through that. So even if you have like those horror components to your story for those games, the expectation is you're going to face them in triumph. 
I mentioned before in the podcast how like that's sort of a, the difference between the Lovecraftian approach to um, cosmic horror and the Howardian approach to cosmic horror because you can defeat it in a Howardian story. You can beat the shit out of it and you know send its bloodied, fleshy body back to the void from whence it came. And I mean, depending on your game, um, it doesn't make it any less horror. It just means that the outcome of the of the experience is different. Same thing with a lot of horror video games too, where you're expected to triumph at the end. You may have a mixed victory at the end, and there may be some you know hand coming out of the grave kind of shit. But really, that's that's the expectation for video games is that you're going to win at the end of it, or at least see some sort of triumph over the enemies, even if it's an imperfect triumph. And I guess. The thing for tabletop RPGs for me is for one, make sure the mechanics are not um, are un, are not unnecessarily uh, trying to or imperfectly capturing the feel of the experience. Like it's good to use game mechanics to uh, to try and capture and and support a specific mood or theme that you want for your games or for your uh, your uh, tabletop. But using it to as the like bludgeon to try and capture it, I think is is not great. And I think that um, one of the fear mechanics that uh, permeates a lot of uh, early D and D is is kind of uh, that where you're just running away. You know, you lose control of your character and they run away. Uh, if that's your only go to option for it. That's pretty fucking frustrating because it's 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 a uh, if you are going to use fear as a regular part of it, it's something for one that the players can't really prep for or prep against because they either have a high wisdom or higher level and therefore a better uh, saving throw, or or they don't. You know, uh, the thing I like about uh, third edition, the three point fives approach to it is there's some optional rules out of Heroes of... Uh, I mean, they're part of the, the game itself uh, for, like, stages of uh, different kind of conditions you can get that, that represent different stages of, of fear. But the Heroes of Horror expands on that to give kind of, like, an idea of uh, the building ambient level of fear or, or the experience. And a lot of those things are providing, like, persisting penalties to attacks or things like that. And it's so there is definitely a mechanical effect to it to, to reflect that, and there uh, is a consequence you're seeing uh, that, that reinforces the feel that the character is going through, but it doesn't just, you know, it's not a all-or-nothing kind of approach where you just lose control of your character um, because, and then, you know, potentially get injured by it or st standing stunned and, and unable to act, right? Um, that stuff, I, I, in fairness to second edition, second edition's uh, Dragon Fear uh, works that way. Dragon Fear sometimes, if you're like you know first level characters, you'll flee away from Dragon Fear. But the particular kind of fear you get with dragons uh, does result in um, stat penalties or uh, uh, like penalties to your attack rolls and things like that. Uh, which is, and skill checks, which I think is is a more interesting way of doing uh, that than just you know losing control of your character. Um, the insanity rules in Call of Cthulhu similarly work that way. And I mean, it, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think that it's a, the, the whole like idea of like being a hit point kind of mechanic for your, uh, trauma reaction is, um, it, it obviously it's a very simple and, and easy way to, to model things, but I am kind of leaning more towards some of the other, uh, systems like, um, uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord does a, a good kind of progressive, uh, you know, buildup of uh, of stress in form of insanity. Um, it's a little unforgiving, but I mean, it's uh, it represents the the progressive impact of that terror. Uh, in uh, Barrowmay's Complete, the old, old school version, uh, Greg Gillespie offers a suggestion for a, a house rule he uses to reflect that that terror at continually going down into the Barrowmay's. Uh, we have a house rule that we use where um, every time hirelings or minions encounter something kind of for the first time in the barrow maze, they have to make uh, saves as well too. And in that, you you do have a little bit more control over what your stats and, and whatnot are in 3rd um, edition 3.5 because you do have the choice of feats, which can 
tweak or affect your uh, your abilities. Um, but I guess like those are just. Uh, I don't think those are quite as egregious, even the, the running away in fear, as the clunky, you know, um, the uh, clunky uh, mechanics. And, like, to be clear, uh, they, they, I saw in, in Resident Evil 7, if, the if, it was in a, if it was a situational thing, if there was something going on that made for why I was moving so damn slow or so, you know, it was so difficult to, to interact with the, the world... Like if I was, you know, there's scenes in it where I'm crawling around in the um, in the water, the the sort of like water that's flooded in at, underneath the house. Um, if my difficulty seeing, if my difficulty moving and shit like that was all related to to slogging my way through that that dank water, totally on board with it. That is a way of of reinforcing that particular atmosphere in that, particularly when it's a contrast to what I'm dealing with uh, otherwise. You know, you, if you're slogging along slowly through water and being chased by someone or something, and you want to get to land so you can start moving at a regular rate again, that's great. That's I think that's exciting, and that 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 you know um, it informs a lot of the decisions that players are making and reinforces the the uh, mood that you're trying to capture. But that wasn't the case. <laughs> it was just you know you moved slow everywhere, and you had uh, you're clunky and, and slow moving everywhere, slow looking. Uh, everywhere too. I also um, think that the um, and this involves, I think, a degree of uh, metagaming uh, in in a horror game, either from the outset of discussing with players like, "Look, this is the kind of horror we're experiencing here. You know, uh, you may not be able to defeat this thing, or you may not be able to kill this thing, or whatever." Um, or you know, because this is, uh, I have the same. Sort of conversation with uh, players every time we run anything that's an investigation or mystery focused game. We did this most recently in our City of Mist game, where it was like, look, you know, the the way that you interface with a an adventure or story in a, an investigation is it requires a different mentality and a different strategy uh, than what like a dungeon delve does or whatever. You know, it's it's a very specific the way you progress the through the adventure and through the story is through, you know, find clue, see if this clue helps us understand what's happening. If it doesn't fully understand it, then what's the next thing we need to find in order to expand our understanding of this? And that is, I mean, a, a very simplistic way maybe of describing what the process of investigation is. You're cutting out fun role-playing and all the other stuff, but like if you sketched out a stick, you know, uh, from one scene to another scene to another scene or whatnot for a, a thing. It's, it's going to be the uh, clues largely that, that uh, guide the progress or at least provide signposts for the progress through that story. Uh, so I would also, if we're um, think, looking back to those three examples, if we're playing four examples, I suppose, traditional Call of Cthulhu, Pulp Cthulhu, Conan 2D20, and Warhammer Fantasy 2E, I would have different ways of sort of communicating through my gameplay what the characters can expect, you know, what the, what the, the play, characters would understand so the players can inform their decisions. And Conan, more often than not, you, you know that if it's in the story, the expectation is you're going to be able to defeat it. Maybe the dice will betray you, I don't know, but the expectation is, is it's something you can face. It's just a matter of maybe you need to be clever, uh, you know, in the way you fight it, but... You're going to be able to fight and defeat this thing. Um, if it's in Warhammer Fantasy, 50-50 maybe. Probably 75-25. Uh, 75% of the time you're going to be able to beat the bejesus out of it. 25% of the time maybe you need to retreat and come up with a different way of approaching this thing. You know, And there's a pretty slim margin in uh, Warhammer Fantasy 2E, depending on what you're facing. Um, there's also the... Um, what do you call it? The... Uh, uh, Pulp Cthulhu, where again, like the expectation is more like Conan that you can defeat things, um, and then in the Call of Cthulhu traditional, you're trying to thwart the plan more so than defeat the monster, right? Like it, the the purpose of uh, a Call of Cthulhu thing is generally to unravel a mystery, traditional Call of Cthulhu, and then deal with it. 
if you're playing Delta Green, it's to exterminate it as well and then cover up the what's happened. But the uh, expectation uh, of how the players are going to react to these things, I think that helps to inform not only um, how the players should expect to react to things, to run from them, to judge the difficulty and then defeat them, or to just flat out have to figure out how we're going to defeat this thing. Um, that's important from the get-go. And then the design of the encounters, or the design of the uh, the violent stuff, at least, that needs to be also communicated. You know, whether it's through background information or atmospheric stuff or knowledge rules. I recently made a, a pretty stupid ruling uh, when we were running D&D uh, 3rd uh, or 3.5 where I, I, I mentioned this on, a pod, on the podcast either last episode or the episode before where I had a bit of a tantrum over the use of knowledge skills and then quickly realized afterwards, I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. This is, Of course, this is what these are for. The characters is investing in these. This is the way the players learn about these things. And Baromaze uh, has a terrific uh, horror atmosphere to it, but uh, at least in the 3.5 version that we're playing, the expectation is the heroes will triumph. And it's not going to be easy, and that may be at, at high cost, and it may not mean any individual hero will triumph, but the hope is that with, it, with enough preparation, enough planning, and, and careful approach, they will be able to triumph over the Baromaze and the, and the horrors that await them within. And one of the ways to inform them of that information without taking away the horror necessarily is through though that those uh, knowledge skills to learn like shit. Do not touch that thing with um, steel or with um, wood. You know, hit it with stone um, or hit it with magic or burn it with fire. That stuff. It doesn't mean that. You know, the heroes are uh, automatically going to be able to do any of those things. They may not have that shit ready at hand. Uh, but it gives them the information they need to be able to transform a extraordinarily difficult or unbeatable enemy into one that they can actually uh, defeat. It also reinforces the importance of some of those uh, decisions for skill checks or skill uh, points where they've been spent. It reinforces the... Uh, the importance of uh, of that. Hello, and this is hi to everyone. Yes, hello, sweetie. Um, it gives you know uh, it gives useful context to character to defeating these horror adversaries from the get go where you're starting with character design all the way through to playing them at the table. You know because there's other characters who have made their decisions on what um, skills to you know what skills to invest in. Uh, they've made them in in different ways. So, uh, or, and then it, right, also taking a further step back from where they chose to place some of their stats. Like we, we uh, in our game, allowed people to swap one stat with another stat and, and uh, we had minimums for what you needed to roll for starting stats and, and whatnot for it. Because uh, we, there's plenty of things in the game that'll kill the heroes. I, I don't need to add shitty stat rolls <laughs> from the get-go to that list of things. But in any event, um, in terms of a horror game, I think that's one of those other things that was a problem with uh, my experience with Resident Evil 7 that I'm hopeful that I'm, I think I need to make sure I include in my, say, my 3.5 game uh, the solutions to those problems or just avoiding those problems. Because I tell you, like, boy, was it just, it was so frustrating that uh, I faced this thing. And, and it was also, I mean, there were other elements of the game that I found very tedious and like the railroad aspect and like with well, the story with any story focused game, like you're going to have an element of that, but just, I have played other games that do a much better job of bringing you through a story with, you know, and in a horror and, um, yeah, I just, boy, I strongly dislike that game. Uh, Let's see if there's any other lessons I can draw from that. Oh, your enemies. Like your enemies as well, too. Uh, I had no connection to this dude, apart from being an, you know, invulnerable, you know, uh, old hillbilly uh, whose voice actor I recognized but could not place. 
that's the like the amount of brain power I spared on this adversary was thinking about where do I know that voice from more so than thinking of where this character was from and also hating the whole the way that the um, the clunky mechanics reinforced or tried to sort of reinforce like tension in my chase and like there's so much better ways like an interesting you know uh, atmosphere or interesting uh, layout that that is difficult to navigate around or provides ways I can lose my enemy you know a lot of Splinter Cell games they they do a great job of that kind of hide and seek stuff so much better and uh, and and providing the enemies with better weaponry and whatnot as opposed to just that this guy is so slow you know uh, and I'm so slow that it's really hard to figure out how to lose him. And strategies that work at some point suddenly don't work at another point too because of the, the railroad nature of the encounters. And that, I suppose, is something that uh, in designing, if you're having a combat-heavy uh, horror game, it's fine to have them be terrifying adversaries. Combat in any RPG is going to have, unless you know you have no death in your game, uh, is always going to be a tense experience, right? There's there's going to be resources, at the very least, uh, resources the players may be losing uh, if they are facing anything that remotely resembles a threat, be that their uh, hit points, their spells, their, you know, whatever other uh, disposable things they have. But um, for this one, I mean, for the horror element, there needs to be some, uh, for those boss encounters, there needs to be, because it's a game, a parameter to what, like how I, uh, how I can succeed through this encounter. Unless it's intended to kill characters, in which case, I don't know why you're playing a game. That, that's just cruel. Um, if you're not intending to kill characters, presumably they're, trying to, they're supposed to get out of that scenario and providing the necessary information for how they do that. Be it to escape from them, you know, uh, be it for uh, providing information beforehand as foreshadowing of how to defeat this thing, be it making use of the character's abilities. Uh, and part of that is, is teamwork. Like, you know, our artificer is provide, is pro artificer, I keep saying that, our archivist character in our Barrel Maze game is, is providing an excellent resource for how to approach and defeat these uh, some of these adversaries. And... He's not the one who takes them down. It's the other characters, the ass kickers in the group that do that. But it's an important part. It's an important role he plays in the, in the thing. Otherwise, those ass kickers would have a lot harder time and have in past when either they have not known what they're facing and how to approach them. Like they're, uh, the, uh, in, in that game, I don't make a distinction between um, coffer corpses uh, and the zombies the, and, and other undead. I usually, unless there's something about them that would differ, like skeletons versus zombies or whatnot, um, I usually present them as the same. You know, I, I use the same token, and it's not until the characters start uh, facing them or if they make uh, successful use of abilities that they're able to identify what things are. And the reason that's important for three, third edition, 3.5, is because one of those things has a resistance to slashing, to, or to everything but slashing, and one of them has a resistance to everything but bludgeoning. So the information that you can gain um, in that makes it a more fair, uh, a more fair encounter because there are ways the players can gain advantages and read the encounter, as it were. Um, better than if they were facing it on their own. I also really, really appreciate now the resistance for uh, the way it's, it's done in 3rd and 3.5 as being, a, and if you're not familiar with it and you're only familiar with older versions, the way that it works is you subtract damage, right? Like, so if, if something has a damage resistance, uh, you know, 5 and then slashing, it means everything that isn't slashing damage um, or magic damage or from some other, you know, uh, enchanted or more powerful thing, um, it subtracts five from the damage that you do. And it can mean that certain uh, characters, those that don't have, you know, big damage bonuses, they're doing nothing against these things. So if you're judging it wrong, it's just like old school where they're having no effect. But big badass characters, they're still able to affect them. It'll just take longer to take these things down and 
the way that attrition works in uh, 3.5, the longer enemies are around, at least the longer they're in their full number, the longer they are in their full numbers, uh, the more difficult and the more damage you're going to take, more difficult the encounter, more damage you're going to take. So it is, um, yeah, I'm really, really coming to appreciate that as far as a being able to provide a horror kind of experience, but in a fun and, and gamified manner, you know, and uh, that's, a, I think, a really clever way of capturing the, you know, the horror. Well, I guess, you know, in, in retrospect, one of the ways that video games have always done a better job of capturing a horror experience in a game than what tabletop role-playing games do is, and I know there's um, certain games that, that uh, there's a Dark Souls knockoff that tries to capture the sanity system from Call of Cthulhu or something similar to that, where you're taking like mental stress. Uh, and there's been other games that, that track that stuff as well. Too. I can't remember if Max Payne does or not, but there's, there's other ones. But for the most part, the horror games have never taken that Call of Cthulhu approach where you've got, you know, either... You uh, you know you see a progressive uh, declare uh, you know decline in your mental conditions, um, or that you're terrified and run away. You know they still allow you to keep playing. It's just they capture the good horror role playing horror uh, video games. And again, good is subjective here, but the ones that I've enjoyed the most, uh, like Dark, uh, Dead Space. Dead Space does a fantastic job of that with good uh, quick time events and incredible atmospheric uh, implementation of enemies and the difficulties you face and the way they unwrap, they uh, uh, dole out the story to you. All of that stuff is done without the kind of fear mechanics that we rely on in role-playing games for like fear checks and shit like that. So I, I think that what that tells me is that there are ways to make a fun horror game without relying on some of those types of mechanics. It's not to say those mechanics don't uh, or can't do a good job of, uh, of capturing that stuff. Um, but if you have enjoyed, you know, horror-focused video games before, there's maybe lessons there uh, about what's not necessary, you know? Um, modern, in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of games come out that have eschewed the whole sanity approach and there's different ways of, uh, of approaching it. But I'm, I really like, you know, I mean, I, and I hate to keep coming back to it, but like the, the way that the, we, the horror experience has been captured in Barrow Maze, I think has been really good, you know, uh, and, and players knowledge of what's going on in some ways sometimes has helped um, enforce the fear and, and the tension of it. Right. Uh, I've in other games, you know, I, I always like having, Initial encounters be, um, you know, uh, be unknown, so the players don't necessarily know what what they're dealing with. But there really is something to be said for them actually knowing, you know, and being because that can be a source of fear as well for both the character and the player, where they're like, Jesus, oh shit, it's ghouls, do not let them touch us, you know, keep them at at a distance or or whatever, you know, like. That little element of knowing that this couldn't render us immobile for however long, you know, um, that kind of knowledge is uh, it's metagame knowledge in a way and whatnot, but it's giving you the net effect of having players who are scared because of what they're facing, you know, because they know precisely what this thing is capable of or those things are capable of. And to not take advantage of that. You can think of it in, in video games too, where like you face one, you know, in, in a lot of these uh, horror or non-horror, you'll face one thing as a boss and, oh my gosh, I finally defeated this thing. Oh, wow, what an achievement, blah, blah, blah. And then you'll later encounter two of those bosses or that boss plus some other shit, you know, as the escalation of uh, difficulty goes. But because your skill level and your knowledge of how to face those things has... Um, expanded or has increased since you last met them, it gives you the tools you need in order to defeat them. And in a horror game, that's important, I think, is uh, to make it a fun game and not just a torturous, you know, 
um, series of things that results in player defeat or character death or you know uh, whatever. Like a, 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 there's nothing wrong with uh, non-heroic, non-triumphant outcomes in your horror games if that's what you intend for the game. But uh, even then, there still needs to be ways for your characters to have agency over it and ways that um, through knowledge, through exploration, through um, you know, uh, uncovering clues and learning about the threats, this is the stuff that makes the, the players fear what's going on uh, beyond just the atmospherics, beyond just the you know, jump scares, beyond just the scary you know, monster reveals, all the stuff that builds up towards that uh, and makes that encounter a fair game. So, in any event, that's my thoughts on, on Resident Evil 7. I just, I, I, it had been really uh, burning, uh, you know, really uh, burning a hole in my gut as I was uh, really disappointed with the, uh, the way that that game played out. And if you did enjoy Resident Evil 7, please don't take my comments to, to be any kind of, you know, comment on it. That's great. If, if you enjoyed it, that's fantastic. That means the game was successful in what it was achieving to do for you. Uh, it just didn't for me, and I really wanted to, to try and wrap my head around what was it about this thing that I didn't, that I felt was not successful for me in my experience with it, and what can I draw from that as far as, um, as far as running horror in my games, you know, uh, going forward. So, anyway, um, I think those are my thoughts on RE7 and. RPGs. So that is uh, that is that. How to get back to work? Um, as is always the case, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this episode uh, or any of the horror stuff that I uh, talked about here, please do not hesitate to. Uh, you can find me. Let's see here on the Dungeon Musings Discord server. Of course, there's a channel dedicated there to the Dungeon Musings uh, podcast, as well as a bunch of other uh, topics, uh, including all the games we run on the YouTube channel. Tons of great people there. Uh, really terrific community, and you are more than welcome to join us over there. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings and by email at DungeonMusings at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me every week on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, of course. And I can, uh, I'm finally caught up in all my comments on that uh, platform as well. <laughs> finally, you can also shoot me a voicemail on Anchor, and uh, I'm happy to uh, receive those. I don't do really like a lot of call-in uh, stuff, uh, partly just because I rarely get... Uh, when I do find time to uh, record episodes, uh, but I do listen to all of them. Um, uh, when I do find time to record episodes, it's rare that I'm going to be able to seamlessly incorporate those suckers in and respond to them. Um, but I do listen to them all, so and I do um, have those uh, comments rattling around in my brain when I'm either running games on the YouTube channel or uh, when I'm recording these. But until next time, I hope this finds you healthy, safe, and weathering the current crisis as well as can be expected. Uh, I hope that I gave you about an hour to take your mind off the troubles of our world and think about the frustrations I had with Resident Evil 7 and my efforts to try and make that a productive experience by learning lessons from it. And until we see you again, thanks for listening. <laughs>